Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We've got a really great special guest today. We've got Maurice Corrette's going to come on, talk about his new book. He's going to talk about the Red Zone Foundation. He's going to talk about all kinds of really, I think, essential stuff uh, for modern day uh, collegiate sports. And I'm, I'm just, it, it's, we kind of re- recorded the interview um, a little bit earlier and it's absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend people listen to it. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, Maurice is a good friend of the show. He's been on, I think this is his third or fourth time um, at this point. So it's it's great to have him back, and it's a lot of fun to talk about. What's not a lot of fun to talk about is the Maryland game, aside from the fact that it was an utter destruction of the Terrapins. I mean, that's great, and everybody loves that, but maybe not a ton of excitement to be had, aside from a really boss onside kick. Um, what What did we learn? Andy Vance, what did we learn from Ohio State dropping a 70 spot on the Terrapins? I think we learned that Maryland is every bit as bad as we thought they were, and Ohio State is every bit as good as we thought they were. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know that any great insights were gleaned beyond that. I think, uh, you know, the the Buckeyes continued to beat the holy living Dickens out of whoever's in front of them. And, you know, probably probably the biggest thing I learned is that these these Buckeyes will cover any spread you put in front of them. Uh, and, and as, uh, as the current uh, league leader are tied with one Ramsey Nasrallah with uh, the, the, the staff pool on uh, bets in our house money series, I'm very happy that these Buckeyes are willing to cover any spread you put in front of them. <laughs> so I, so I abstain from that particular feature. And I do that because I, Partly, part, partly because of my job, but also partly because um, I just I'm I, I'm not good at gambling. I, I have no insight. And what's interesting to me is the one like I'm still trying to learn the one team I think that did not that beat the spread essentially against Ohio State was the very first team that they played in Lane Kiffin's FAU. And since then, it's just been like I don't know the name of the gun that's on like an A10 Warthog. But that's pretty much what it's been like. It's just been this like, like this whole, this like shrapnel shredding, like insane warthog gun, just obliterating everything in their path since uh, that first game. And it's it's wild. And I don't like, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Like, you know, I don't know what else there is to talk about. And, And as far as Rutgers goes, they might score 100. But I don't know what you're getting from this. I don't know what you actually learn about this team from these these two games and obviously the last two games of the season are going to be much more instructive going forward than you know Maryland and Rutgers but uh right now this to me is just them solidifying their hold on the number two spot in the country which you know I'm fine with LSU being ranked above them right now I think you know LSU what they did obviously with Joe Burrow and and against Alabama is is worthy of adulation and praise but man I just you know the, the team just does not seem to have any weak spots, including with uh, the noted handicapped of, uh, of, of losing Chase Young. And that's actually what I want to talk about. So, Andy, what are your what is your reaction to this entire situation? Do you let me ask you this? Do you believe uh, the narrative that's that's currently out there? Do you in other words, do you think Ohio State could be facing anywhere between like one and four games without Chase Young? And how do you feel about the general situation overall with with what happened with uh, you know the loan the, the alleged loan and, and payments here? 
And so uh, two things. First off, the uh, the gun to which you referenced is the uh, Avenger 30 millimeter hydraulically driven seven barrel Gatling style <laughs> auto cannon on the A10. Fantastic. Uh, it is a magical piece of machinery. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't not look up that little tidbit of trivia because it would have bothered me all week. Um, back, back to the narrative. I mean, between one and four games, yeah, that's that 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 sounds right. On one hand, I say you never trust the NCAA to do the right thing because um, as long as your expectations are zero, you will never be disappointed when right. it comes to the NCAA. Um, on on the other hand, I think the environment is so athlete friendly at this point just look how far we have come in terms of public perception of perceived athlete related scandals since jim trestle's unfortunate falling on the sword to, yeah. to present day i mean we've gone from you know the the whole country ready to tar and feather an entire program over trivial nonsense to now the whole country in essence standing up and saying free chase young and we really (laughs) i mean really move the needle at least in terms of the public perception so uh, what what i what i tend to think i think the latest reporting at the time we've taped you know taped here is that two games you know is probably um reasonable because you you, maybe the ncaa would shoot for four based on yeah, um, the letter of the law and the dollar value of the alleged loan and so on and so forth. But Ohio State maybe would successfully appeal that down to two games. And you say, oh, well, Rutgers and Maryland, who cares? And we move on. And, and Mr. Young is back in service for the two most important games left on the schedule. I Look, to me, first of all, it should be zero games. I, this whole thing is insane to me. And I like... I understand that they've got, you know, these rules in place for a reason and all this stuff. But look, if you have a loan and even, you know, it's a family friend that he made that he, that he says he made after, you know, the senior of high school. A lot of people look at that with suspicion, say, well, that sounds like an agent. I don't care. I just I, I don't care. I, I've stopped caring at this point when it comes to that. Let's say it was an agent. Right. Let, let's say hypothetically it was if he can prove that he repaid a loan. I don't care. This isn't something that anybody right. should really get all that hyped about. And I just, to me, it is utterly insane that this is the kind of distraction that can like be allowed to fester. And in the fact that a guy like Chase Young, who's having just a mind bendingly amazing season, probably the best defender in college football uh, has to deal with this just really sucks because I know that he's dying to get out there and play with his teammates I just think this is BS and I just, you're right. Put it, put this into the entire continuum of stuff that we have talked about with regards to the NCAA, especially since Tatgate, which itself is complete BS and stupid. And this just seems like the most asinine stuff. And honestly, if the NCAA really wants to go by the letter of the law, to me, that invalidates the letter of their law, right? Because it's so egregiously, egregiously, uh, dumb, right? Just like outwardly and obviously dumb that they have to like say, okay, well, these are our rules. Well, obviously it's a different situation. You don't have to go by the letter of law. You could actually take these things in a situation by situation basis. And I don't know. I just, ha- I just think having this hanging over the head is, is his head is stupid. And um, yeah, I, I don't think he look, I personally think he's like one or two games. I think that's what he'll get. You shouldn't even have to worry about it. That's my, my, my hot take up. 
you take it back to the origin. So we, we, if we take the facts as they have been presented to us as, as fact, as opposed to spin or, or conjecture. Sure. Um, and, and you say that I believe 100% of what Chase Young has said publicly, and there's no reason not to believe what, what he said from all accounts, he's a stand up guy and, yeah. and um, a, a straight Absolutely. shooter. So he says, I borrowed this money to be able to take my girlfriend to the Rose Bowl. Okay. Let's start with that. That a player that, one of the best players on one of the best teams in the country has to borrow money to be able to take his girlfriend to the Rose bowl is, is something you could say, okay, let's back this up to the, how players are treated in the current system discussion. Cause this is all part and parcel, right? A guy like Chase yeah. Young uh, brings, I won't say a measurable value to the program because you probably can actually measure the value he brings to the program, but he brings a significant amount of value for his labor and should be in some way um, compensated for that. Now I'm, I'm not one that's in the quote unquote pay the players mindset. I still like the concept of amateurism, but I do think, you know, there's, there's something to be said for these kids need to be taken care of on, on such a level that they wouldn't have to resort to, uh, a family friend or as urban Meyer used to talk about the shady uncle or, you know, whatnot right. who comes in and says, here, let me, let me help you out. You know, yeah, there, that's... there should be some stipend, some, there should be some money there that lets a guy like that live uh, a reasonable life while he's putting in how many ever hours a week it is toward achieving his goal of winning a national championship and, and right. so on. And that's what's so frustrating about it, because the the rules that are in place are what let lead to something like this happening, right? <laughs> like if if Chase Young either had like a different you know way to get that kind of income, or he was able to profit off his own likeness, he probably wouldn't have had to take that loan in the first place yes. to accomplish that goal. And so it's just to me that's what's so asinine about it, because it just seems so self defeating, and I just I I don't understand it. Um, you know I. Obviously, this is a, you know, when you talk about the football considerations, you want Chase Young on the field. You want him to be there for Penn State and Michigan and, you know, hopefully like a, you know, a, a championship run and things like that. But just from a human standpoint, I just think it's dumb as hell that he has to deal with this. And it is a situation that the NCAA, through a lot of archaic rules, has basically fostered and created. And it's just, it's frustrating. Um, you know, it, it's something to talk about in a season that there really hasn't been a whole lot of drama, but it's obviously not. You would rather there be no drama and just have boring podcasts than have to deal with asinine BS. So, And the, and the thing that gets super frustrating about it, and we're going to hear from Maurice Claret later in the dubcast and get his take on the situation because he certainly has some some relevant experience Absolutely. Um, to, to bear on this discussion. One of the things that's really frustrating and tragic about it is so many times we tell stories of young athletes who come from less than modest means and and struggle in football's their way out so to speak of of whatever hard scrabble upbringing and and unfortunate circumstances that they're born into and so then when you put in these archaic and arcane NCAA rules you you know you've almost um set up a certainty that some kid from those uh challenge and I'm not necessarily saying anything specific to Chase's situation here but there's going to be some kid somewhere who doesn't come from anything and has less than nothing and their talent puts them in a place where some character can say, hey, kid, let me help you out with some money. And they're going to run afoul of these rules 
Right. Uh, and, and that's the part that's really unfortunate. Chase Young's going to be okay, right? He's going to, oh, sure, yeah. he's going to get through this situation. If he plays another down in college or not, he still will likely be the number one overall draft pick unless, you know, that team decides to take a quarterback. He certainly is that, that <laughs> kind of player. And so he's going to be fine. No, no big deal. Certainly, I think those of us who who are fans of his work and think he's the best player in the country at any position this season would love to see him play the two biggest games on the schedule. Who cares about Rutgers? But you'd right. like to see him come back and have a chance to show what what he's capable of against two of the better teams Ohio State will play all year, particularly that yeah. Michigan game. Well, and, and to that point, uh, I, I think you know this is something that does require a little bit of of reflection. I and, and at the end of this. <laughs> The end of this, I think we're definitely going to put this in larger context. Like, and by the end of this, I mean at the end of the controversy surrounding, you know, paying players and whatnot. This is going to be, I think, a case study in a lot of issues that the NCAA has. And I'm curious to see how we reflect on this, maybe in two or three or four or five or ten years, um, just based on the facts of of what's happening. So it's really interesting, and we're lucky enough to have on tonight. Maurice Corrette, who can really provide a lot of insight into, you know, just what athletes have to deal with, what they're struggling with, and and also to tell us what he's been doing to help with that and what we can do as a society to help with that. So here we go. Maurice Corrette. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to one of Ohio State's all-time great running backs, Maurice Claret, who joins us uh, not only one of the all-time greats uh, as a running back, but becoming one of the all-time great members of the community. Maurice, it's great to talk with you, and thanks for joining us on the Dubcast. So I want to get right into, I think, something pretty exciting coming out, your autobiography. Tell us about the book, which uh, which is dropping. You're going to have an official launch here within the next week. Uh, talk, tell us about about this autobiography of yours. Oh yeah, good. Well, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure um, being on anybody's platform and being able to uh, share any part of my life. Uh, but the book is the book is currently available now uh, uh, through our through my platform online. Uh, but we are holding a, a formal event. But the book is just a uh, really a, a story of my life. Uh, from birth up until now, um, and the focal point is basically me just coming to the realization of how my life kind of started uh, after football was done and over with. And uh, I know a lot of guys, you know, when they're when they're young and they're playing, and we all uh, think about playing sports. We all think about you know playing in NFL until we're 45, and you know riding off into the sunset and, and life being beautiful and and, and having everything <laughs> that we can definitely possibly wish for. And, and we don't uh, assume that the game will ever end and we'll have to have another set of responsibilities. Um, but myself and uh, Bob Eckhart, uh, who was a, a tutor for me at Ohio State, uh, he had kept in touch with me all throughout of my time uh, when I was in prison or going through my hardships or ever since I left Ohio State. And through the entire time, he just kind of like watched my growth uh, from a distance, watched me from, you know, being obviously at Ohio State and then growing and, and just talking about lessons learned and being self-reflective and, you know, wishing more guys, um, you know, had a chance to, to learn from my experiences and, and things of that nature. And I just said, hey, man, it would be cool uh, if we could somehow format this and document it and put it into book form. Uh, and not to say that my life is uh, something so special, but that my life kind of mimics a lot of people. Uh, I think the only thing different about my life was that, you know, I was a freshman who had a lot of success uh, and we won a national championship. And also the fact that Ohio State uh, has a massive brand, 
Uh, but I think if you take those two things away from it, uh, outside of the talent and outside of uh, Ohio State having a massive brand, a lot of what I went through, uh, and ironically, I just sat here and I watched, you know, Charles Rogers, um, uh, you know, he passed away today. Uh, I just kind of watched some of his backstories and back interviews. I was saying to myself, like, wow, even somebody who had went uh, as high as a second overall pick, uh, to kind of see he went through similar things uh, that we all go through when the glory stops or uh, when football isn't going your way. And so for me, it was just me basically putting my life and some of my life lessons in there and understanding how uh, books influenced my life when I was in prison. And it's essentially what allowed me to change and what still grows me and changes me and, and things of that nature. And I just wanted to capture uh, from childhood into now and to and to really put it out there and um you know, organize my story, organize my side, organize my experiences, uh, get with somebody who can put it together in a professional format, and then at some point, you know, deliver it to the public all for the purpose of to create a, a residential facility uh, for student athletes who have different mental health and drug and alcohol issues, uh, something that basically has stumbled or stifled me throughout my journey. So I don't know if I answered the question the right way, but I just try to give an overview and give context to how things came to be. I love the title of the book, Maurice, One and Done, How My Life Started When My Football Career Ended. And and you just, you were making that connection just a moment ago that that all of us, whether we were, you know, practice team players in high school or, you know, potential high draft picks, football ends for everyone at some point. Everyone watched how, how yours ended, but I love that focus you put on how your life started once football stopped dive into that a little bit more. Like what was the point in your journey where, you know, the dime dropped, you talked about books and your time in prison, but what was the point where, you know, something switched for you and and how you rededicated your life moving forward? Well, it started, it started prior to prison. I think, uh, I think you have to give context, everything to, to give a, you know, a full answer. And uh, it started before I went to prison, you know, feeling that um, like that depressed and lonely and isolated and having so much of my identity and, and self-worth wrapped up into a game. I didn't realize that it was wrapped up into it until it kind of faded away. And, um, you know, the, the robberies, the guns, the, the, the foolish and erratic behavior, all that stuff was just an expression uh, with how I felt about myself. You know, when you look back on stuff and you go through therapy and you start to understand behavior from a um, from a macro level and you're looking at it as a student and a teacher sort of deal, uh, you can understand that all that behavior was just erratic because I was just mad at my personal situation. And so, you know, I got to prison and I was like, you know, um, I understand that I'm better than this because, you know, I've set goals before, I've achieved, uh, I've accomplished, I've figured problems out, I've battled through adversity. Uh, but I didn't understand that that um, those those characteristics, so to speak, I didn't understand that they were able to be applied to a different platform. And that was the toughest thing because, you know, saying for so long, um, academically, I didn't have to do anything to keep on graduating or evolving in life where most of society does. You know, you have to be something academically or learn something to then move on to the next level. A lot of athletes sort of get a pass in the academic or personal development, social development areas, because they seem to be good at just using their bodies. And, um, and we're now starting to see a society with cameras being so prevalent, you can kind of see the result of it from people doing so many, um, I don't want to say bonehead things, but stupid things. And so, and for me, it was just, um, you know, gathering myself in prison and, and really finding that, that fire inside myself still 
uh, that feeling of ambition, that feeling of wanting to accomplish, and really kind of like this aha moment was like, yo, this thing just doesn't turn off. Like, I'm an ambitious person. You know, it just doesn't relate to football. Like, I was sad and I had to grieve that football was over, uh, but I was still like this ambitious person who wanted to accomplish something. And I think for me, it was more or less uh, the discovery process. So I was in prison for four years. And just like most kids who go to college, you know, through, through, throughout three or four years, you figure out what it is you want to do. And so for me, just from for me, basically just reading and discovering, I just found out different things that had interested me uh, when I was incarcerated. And then the uh, the tougher part was just being able to apply myself after prison to, to make what I learned in prison transition to uh, what it was that I was doing in society after I had made so many um bad choices that would have people viewing me a certain way. So I had to get through the character part and uh, and uh, the stigma part already and then just get through the business part that, you know, that everybody has to get through when you're trying to do business, build business, form relationships or whatever. So my situation was a little bit, you know, in prison. And then after that, just like anything else, you know, you can read a thousand books or you can listen to a thousand lectures online or even in a classroom, but at some point you have to apply what it was that you read. And uh, when I start making connections of how behavior is influenced and driven on the football field to how you can apply that same stuff in life, that's when life became um, funner to me or, or, or it became more full uh, because I started to realize that, you know, I found the different platforms to set the skill set on uh, that I, I don't think a lot of guys find. Yeah. What can I, So one of the questions I have is, your story is, I think, really impressive just because of the amount of reflection that you've done and obviously the work that you've put in with, you know, like Red Zone and, and all the, you know, the speaking and the, the things that you've done to inform other people about what they have to do um, and what they can do to get help. What do you see as, especially for like athletes, uh, the biggest area of need for them, like emotionally or mentally, that maybe isn't addressed as athletes yeah. or as just young people in general? Yeah, I think it's I think it's threefold. I think the first part is uh, academic, their academic development. Uh, if you just ask me, and I, and I can only use myself as a reference point, uh, when football was over for me, there was really nothing left in the mind that I had built up academically to have any interest. And uh, we do a great job, and I always say this everywhere I go, uh, we do a great job, smart people, uh, we do a very great crafty job of miseducating guys on purpose uh, for them to stay, stay eligible, you know, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can say that in front of, um, you know, the M4A conference. I've said anywhere in America where you have people uh, in higher education who know better, you know, and they couldn't look me in my face and tell me that they don't do it on purpose. When these kids step on campus, you know, a lot of these kids, including myself, we think that we're getting over on the system uh, by taking these lollipop classes. But I've now gone through the system and been on the backside of the system and talked to academic specialists and athletic directors uh, who tell, hey, this is what we set up for these kids because they couldn't qualify or take any other courses here. So I think the first thing is academically. And, you know, a lot of times you hear a lot of people say, hey, you know, these kids should be happy that they're getting education. Well, in most cases, a lot of these kids are not getting education. They're getting, you know, they're, they're majoring in eligibility. So that's the first part. Uh, I think there's a social, emotional, and psychological part to this as well. I had looked back on football, and I just had thought to myself, I was riding down the street one day, and I don't know where I was going or coming from, uh, but there's just not a place. And I can only speak to football in particular. Sure. But um, just to rev yourself up, to gear yourself up, uh, to charge yourself up and to be speed and hitting people for three, four, five times, three or four or five seconds, 
uh, every day of your life for 10, 15, 20 years of your life uh, with a lot of guys in most places, I didn't realize how abnormal that was. And I think psychologically uh, there has to be some long-term effect of that, you know, either through the actual physical trauma, through the mental trauma, uh, from being conditioned from somebody yelling at you all the time and getting to your rear end. There has to be something there. So, so some level of emotional awareness or emotional supportive courses and psychological supportive courses, that has to play a factor. You know, when we're talking about getting intelligent with smartphones and, and being data-driven, and, you know, we have the, the, the best simulations for pounding on guys' knees and their heart rates and things of that nature, uh, but we have to take a further look or a deeper look into the psychological effect that these guys have, right? And so we yeah. don't do a lot of uh, emotional and, and, excuse me, emotional and psychological development uh, just because, you know, this has always been looked at as a barbaric sport, right? And so when, when you – and then the third part of it is, like, you have to, like, actually look at the facts, right? So we always speak in the context of that, you know, kids need to do something else because there's just a 2% chance. And I kind of, like, look at that, like, totally different. Uh, there's no – there's nothing else uh, – and I'm speaking to a lot of uh, – I'm speaking to a certain, a certain demographic of kids when I say this, right? There's nothing else in life uh, aside from football or basketball that you would sign up for or you would say that, hey, you know, I only have a 2% chance of making it. There's nothing else that you would just foreclose on and say, hey, you know, let me sign up for this 2% chance and dedicate any and everything to it, knowing that the probability of failure is 98%. And knowing with that 98% and knowing how much time and how much effort you are, how many things you do to foreclose on everything else, um, there's a great deal. I, I, know how my, I know how I know I may have said that in a bit of broken way, but you'll get my point, right? Yeah. The point, of the, story, the, point is, the point is, is that there is to be expected some level of disappointment, some dis, some level of letdown, and there has to be like a face and a name and a group of kids who say, okay, this is what this looks like after I've dedicated my entire life to this two percent chance and it didn't work out, and I'm just out here fluttering through the world. And, and what you see a lot of times where you see it manifest is that, you know, these kids that have four-year degrees and they'll have educations and they'll meet the, uh, the student-athlete requirements in the schools and the coaches and they'll get their bonuses. But next thing you know, these guys are back in the neighborhood throwing football camps to make a living. And I think that there's something wrong about that, you know, when these guys, um, they didn't know any better because they're young kids and they're excited and they're going through this whole process I just think that the, the support can be wrapped around in a few different ways. And it's, it, it doesn't matter if you're a Division One or one AA. I just think the restructuring of supportive mechanisms to these guys, um, psychological, emotional, and, uh, and psychological wellness needs to be supported. I always say this, man, and, and I deal in a space, uh, I deal with social workers and counselors and psychiatrists, and I still go to psychiatrists to this day. It's a lot to give your life to something from, you know, five or six years old until you're 25 and to not be uh, – and, and, and for it not to work out. That's a lot. Right. I don't care if you are an attorney. Like, you know, just, just think about how many, how many physicians you would think would sign up to be a physician if they said, hey, you go through all these years of school, uh, but there's only a 2% chance that you'll uh, make it to be a doctor who gets to practice in the hospital or you get to open up your own private practice. You'll probably have a lot of physicians, you know, getting drunk, smoking weed, blowing their brains out there and say, yo, this is crazy but you do have a different population of people who do it and it does happen. And you would like to say, Hey, you know, we don't have to revamp the entire system, but we do have to put more supportive mechanisms, understanding 
that we've had so many outcomes um, where guys just sort of uh, they're let down. And, and, and it's not that they're let down because they're not good enough. It's just the, the, the reality of it. You only have, you know, 1,500, 1,600 slots in the NFL. And just through, through, through numbers alone, you can't take everybody. And so that's just my, my two-minute rant, if you call no, it. No, no, no. Like, so I, I actually I, <laughs> I want to tell you what you said I think really resonates because you know, I'm a high school teacher, and I, I totally, like, I'm really glad that you mentioned the fact that some of the stuff that we say to the kids is like, this is, this is all you are, this is what you got to do, this is who you got to be. And I think psychologically, especially with the way like really intense sports condition kids, it's a huge letdown sometimes when they've got to hang that up. And that's hard for people to deal with. That's really hard psychologically to deal with. And like you said, that's with anything. So I, 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 I said, you- I'm right there with you. I really appreciate you saying that. No, like a lot of this stuff come down. And so everything I talk about, anybody who's listening to this, this is all, every time I talk, these are either talks I've had with myself or just revelations just through living my life. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff comes back to how you identify yourself, which is the most important thing. And I give you a prime example, right? Mike Tomlin wrote me um, a letter in prison. This was 2006 or seven or eight. I don't know when he wrote me in prison. Now, mind you, I never met him. And he wrote on a small card, um, you know, you, uh, football is what you do. It's not who you are. And probably up until that point in my life, I had probably thought that they were one and the same. Like, I am a football player. And I couldn't distinguish, like, no, this is what you do, but this is not who you are. And I didn't even know who you were or, or who I was as an individual. I had, like, these, these different set of, like, characteristics. And then football player has them. And then you merge those two together and go do something. And the deeper or the more I started to live life, it just started to come to me. I said, oh, I get what he's saying now. Like, there's so many young kids. Like, I was just at a school. This was, you know, a few weeks ago. And I asked the kid to describe himself. And I asked him to do it just so he could hear it out of his own mouth. And the only thing the kid could say is that I'm 6'5", I'm black, and I can yeah. play basketball, right? And so with him saying that, like, and the room was intense. So, like, we had went from, like, the commercial jokes and, and just having a good time with each other and telling my story. But – you can see as he said it out loud, you can see he started to realize that he didn't have a lot to say about himself because he only identified himself as one thing. And then when you start to talk about the, all, the, all the other players and I started to call on them, everybody was empty with words. And so then we had that aha moment, like it's just not him. This is all of us. But then I had to join the conversation to say, hey, at 22, 23, you know, I, I, that was probably my answer. You know what I'm saying? But that's the, right. that's the issue. We should not be in an environment of higher learning and have the resources uh, with all of this academic support. And, and this is the, um, the the epitome of what we get from it. You know, so we can't keep on talking about we're having, you know, personal development and, and, and we're having all of these enlightened speakers and enlightened workers who come to work with our kids. And, and it looks good for social media, but it does nothing to the individual who has to go be a, a father, an uncle, a brother, a cousin, uh, or something like that. That's that's just my, um, you know, this is what I'm about. So I speak about it, and I just that's that's like my perspective on all this. Maurice, there there's something universal I think about what you're saying when you ask somebody to describe themselves that way. Who who are you? There are so many of us, and I'd put myself in this boat as well. You identify 
with your profession or with your vocation or with your trade or your craft or whatever it is that you do. And, and what I'm hearing you say is really powerful that you, there's more to you than your job or your sport or what it is that you do for, for a living. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, I was, I was telling somebody that the other day, I think those are the worst people. No, that's what I was doing. I, I was out eating dinner with somebody and, and, and I was out, I was out with a doctor, right? So me and the doctor were hanging out and I never seen the doctor I, and I'll answer your question, but I just wanted to make a point, right? I was, I was, I mean, so every time I see the doctor, he's in his practice. We, you know, we hang out, we talk crazy to each other there. And so we go out to dinner and we out and about, and uh, I've never seen him outside of the practice, right? So as we're outside of the practice uh, and we're, we're having dinner, and it's about like eight or nine of us, as everybody comes up to the table and are introducing themselves, he never introduces himself as Dr. Such-and-Such, right? And yeah. so I'm laughing to myself because I said I actually like this guy even more because he's not trying to position himself or be uh, looked at in a certain way. And now a person can just deal with you for face value or if they really actually like you. And I despise people who kind of like got to let you know their title or what they do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like when you, when you meet them, like I, I just think like those are just like the, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't need to go into all that, but everybody who's listening knows somebody like that who has to mention their occupation or what they do or who they're affiliated with just to, you know, as if that means something. Right. And so, um, you know, just, but that, I, I'm like this. I was there at once where you want somebody to know your accolades, but I think the more, uh, the more humble approach and the more um, natural approach is that, you know, we're all uh, just human beings and we all have different occupations and interests and skill sets. Uh, but sometimes society wants us to um, view like we're different, you know, like, you know, I'm up here and you're down there when it's actually, you know, all the same and everybody just has a different interest or skill set and, and, and different opportunities. And I guess if you've never lost everything or if you've never been successful in any type of way, you don't realize how easy it is to slide at that scale. You can, you know, you can slide one way, you can slide another way. Uh, and, and so with, with my personal life experiences, I've just learned to say, hey, you know, this is who I am. Like I do this other stuff and I have fun doing it, uh, but this this not what I, that's not how I want to be identified. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things is that uh, interests me about what you're doing and, and obviously the book and whatnot is, is how it connects with people. And I just, I really want to make sure that we uh, give time to not just the book, but also what you are doing uh, with like the Red Zone Foundation, and all that kind of stuff. And, and can you maybe tell people about, you know, more details about exactly what that is and how it's helping people and, and what kind of the plan is going forward with it? Yeah, so the Red Zone, so we are a mental health and drug and alcohol agency in a nutshell. And uh, just to give a brief background, I uh, started this thing back in 2016. Uh, the Red Zone is obviously a play on words. Uh, with being in the Red Zone, everybody knows if you're inside the 20 and you're on offense, it's a very intense moment. And if you're on defense, it's a very intense moment. And for um, for people who, who potent- are potentially are – who are referred to us, they're typically in the red zone of their life in some sort of fashion, right? And so I started out in 2016, and uh, and it was personal to me because I went through therapeutic services inside of prison, and it was going through therapy over a year and a half and two years' time and eventually running some of the therapeutic courses in prison. It was that like that, that thing kind of like helped me to unravel or unfold myself uh, that I've seen evaluated. value in it. So, I eventually found out in 2016 what a uh, behavioral health agency was, uh, and I told myself that I initially wanted to go back to Youngstown, and I was going to open up an outpatient center 
and just work with young kids inside of uh, my neighborhood and also adults who had different drug and alcohol issues. And so I went back home, and the irony of it was that uh, Coach Trussell was back there being the president of uh, Youngstown State, which he still is. And uh, he said, hey, man, if you want to help to um, change the community or change these kids, you have to go inside of the school system. So at that point, you know, I never had any intention of going inside the school system. So uh, he said, you know, can you put some social workers and counselors and wrap those services around some of those kids who have different uh, barriers and just academics and, and can you go from that standpoint? And so we have started out with maybe three schools and we went from three to maybe I want to say about 17 right now within the area with all the Youngstown City schools and uh, the surrounding uh, uh, K through eight buildings and at some high schools within the area. And we went from there and, and, and built a uh, residential program for adults where we probably house about 40 people right now uh, with wow. men and women. And we service probably, I would say, uh, a couple hundred between the courts uh, with people returning home from prison, uh, people who are on parole and probation. And we run an outpatient service every day with different sorts of uh, aftercares and domestic violence groups and anger management groups and so on and so forth. And so we're a full-fledged uh, social service agency, both in schools and the community with the adolescents and, and both our residential programming uh, in, in, in Youngstown. And we also work in, in Warren, which is Trumbull County. And we do similar service down here, similar services down here in Columbus, uh, but Columbus isn't as uh, big as Youngstown um, in regards to, uh, in, in regards to people. We have about 140 people on staff. Uh, between um, between administrators and all the way down to social workers, counselors, independent social workers and counselors, and and qualified mental health specialists. And so that's the red zone in a, in a nutshell. And so throughout the entire time, uh, I was traveling the country, and I would go to all of these colleges, you know, um, you know, football, basketball, so on and so forth. And a lot of my story will. And so just to put this in context. When I'm called to speak around the country, when I go to a basketball team or a football team, uh, typically I'm not there to speak to the entire team. There's a handful of guys uh, who they say, hey, man, I hope your message resonates with these guys because these guys have a huge impact uh, in regards to what we do either on the court or on the field. But there's a certain thing that we think remind uh, them of you or you of them or however they want to, however they want to put it. And so what, what happened was that, uh, I would get done talking, and, and coaches would say, hey, can you spend more time with these guys? And actually, uh, Chris Mack, who, who was at Xavier at the time, uh, he was at uh, he's at Louisville now, he said, man, you should start doing something from a residential standpoint. And I didn't even know that, that they would allow student-athletes to basically uh, come and do uh, residential services with somebody independently because when I was in school, that wasn't a thing. And I just thought that, you know, internally schools handled that. And he said, no, you know, some of the stuff that you learned in prison with, you know, your uh, your therapeutic courses that kind of helped you and some of the stuff that helped kids now because a lot of these kids, they come damaged on campus from whatever or a kid doesn't start, a kid, you know, smokes because he can't adjust academically or whatever it may be. He has too many girls around him. You know, just the factors of kids being kids in college. Right. And, you know, a kid potentially can, you know, blow uh, that 2% chance that he may have or just totally derail his process and end up elsewhere. Uh, they said, man, if you would start something, basically, we would support this. So I started going back and forth to schools on a regular. Like, I go to Connecticut on a regular. I go down to LSU, and, you know, I do some other work with some other schools who probably wouldn't want to be named, but those people, they don't really care. Um, but, but at the end of the day, um, it, it, it's always been spoken that if there was something residential where we can just send these guys to you and work for a while and, 
They can be in private and it's away from this campus life and they can do their, their work academically, so on and so forth, that you know, we, would, uh, we were basically appreciated. So to bring it all the way back around, throughout this whole time, uh, I was just uh, writing this book. And so I would be with Bob Eckhart, and this book probably took two or three years between him teaching in China and me being in the States and us just having to get our schedule together. And so we just completed it. Uh, just because I was one of those people that say, hey, man, I don't just want uh, some of my life lessons to be lost or to be forgot about or just to be too lazy at some point in my life um, uh, to, to, to just not remember. And so we completed it, and over the period of time, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm starting to do some other things in life where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously in a better place, and there's, there's other things that I can see being done with this book rather than me putting it out for sale and putting money in my pocket. I said, hey, man, how about we just use this as a fundraiser uh, to get the seat money to just do this for student athletes and make this about student athletes, both high, both high school and collegiate guys, and and we just had a vision from there. And uh, and when we we completed the project, and uh, I had already um, when I, when I released the stuff that I wrote from prison, and I got out of prison, I probably sold eight to nine thousand books, and so I knew uh, the process of selling books, and so I said, okay, if I just make myself visible and I go out here and just talk about what this is really about. I think that I can get the appropriate support from people uh, to sell the books and to raise the money to basically uh, put this here. And then from there, now you have a place where uh, redirection can start. And it may start as something simple uh, where you send guys in, 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 and it's a it's a break from their normal environment. Uh, but the goal is it for it to be long-term uh, as a resource center uh, for not only just high schoolers and collegiate guys, but for also guys who finish up in the NFL and who may just be in that, like, I call it like that state of purgatory. You know, like, I, I can look at, you know, and it's a no knocks to him, but I, I don't know why he's the first guy, uh, but you look at a guy like, uh, I, won't, I won't name no guys because it may, may may come off the wrong way to the other guys, but, you know, guys sure. who think they're going to the NFL and it doesn't work out for them, and now you're in that space where I don't have any money, I don't really have an education, uh, but I'm so used to living like this, um, this collegiate athlete, uh, and I'm used to being catered to, but that that that's a thing, and I don't really want to go back to my neighborhood, but I don't really have a skill set or a purpose to this world. You know, is there some place for me to help me transition because the school isn't open anymore? You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. we found we, we found that to be a thing. And I, I live in Columbus, so I, I see a lot of these young guys. You know, a lot of these young guys, they just, you know, they kind of sit into, like, this purgatory, and, and, and they're done, and they don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, what do you do? And we have to get past the point to where if you're a former athlete, you have to do more than, than throw basketball camps or football camps. And there's nothing wrong with that because I may throw football camps one day, but I don't want that to be my, my focal point of, like, what my life has amounted to. And I, there's a lot of guys who do well uh, from throwing football camps and basketball camps and, 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 and being a youth sports space, and I'm not criticizing that because there's, there's a place for it, but I see a lot of people go to default to doing that because there's nothing else to do, and then we mask that as giving back. But we have to, we have to do more. You know, that th- th- has to be, th- there has to be more done. Uh, that's all I'm saying. It's a powerful message. The book is called One and Done, How My Life Started When My Football Career Ended by Maurice Claret. And I encourage you to visit his website, mauriceclaretonline.com to learn more about the book, the Red Zone Project and everything uh, that you're doing in the community. It's really powerful stuff, Maurice. I, I wanted to ask you about a couple relevant issues uh, that, I, that I think may be of interest to you. So given that you have some experience in um, how university and NCAA regulations work with 
student travel, student athlete travel, and, and who gets to pay for what. What were your your reactions to the Chase Young situation that uh, uh, broke last week and stemming from taking a loan to pay for travel to a Rose Bowl? I, I just said the same thing. Uh, the, the fact that it's still an issue is the issue. Um, and that was the first thing that came to my mind that we're, we're even still talking about this, um, where a kid can actually, you know, um, and, and this is just me, get, I'm gathering information from the news. So you know, don't quote me on anything, but a kid can gather or get a loan from anybody, you know, where you, you pay for a flight and then it becomes an issue. And, um, you know, you just, you, you, you get stabbed for the kid because you realize that he won't have an opportunity to play those games ever again. And even though he's going to go to the NFL and be the number one pick, like you don't want to miss those moments. Like people say, oh, you want to go and make millions of dollars, but there's still unfinished business. There's still records that he probably wanted to set out and accomplish. <laughs> and then now over something so trivial, so like so silly, so trivial that he's even in that situation. And um, I just see the tide turning. It, it, it's, uh, it's turning a little bit slower than – uh, than anybody probably ever had wished, but the NCAA just gets a, a lot of bad flack from this, and um, and it is what it is. And, and and I don't know. We just need these conversations. You need more states turning and saying, "Hey, we're going to support these young kids making money." I think more people understand it's a business. I think people understand like what a billion dollar industry is to pay or to not pay these kids. And so um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm not even sure. Like I, like this. I would love to like break that down at a whole different time and a whole different date in the right context and, and to speak about it intelligently. Uh, but for Chase, you know, like I, I sent him a message saying, "Man, this two will pass over, and it'll be a distant memory." But I don't want people to forget about it to the point where they don't stop or, or they stop and they don't want to uh, take any actionable steps to push and pursue for the NCAA to change how it is that they deal with student athletes. Maurice, I want to thank you for your time, your your work in the community, the message that you're sharing. Uh, again, the book is called One and Done, How My Life Started When My Football Career Ended. Maurice Claret with Bob Eckhart, and you can order the book at mauriceclaretonline.com. Maurice, thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Thank you all for having me. All right, Maurice was amazing. I Again, I, I told Andy this, uh, every time... He comes on, he says three or four things that I just like my head explodes. And I'm like, this, we have to talk more about this. Like, I want to hear Maurice Corrette talk for another five hours about these topics because he is, he's just one of the most reflective, insightful people I've ever talked to. And it's always a joy having him on. Um, so we're going to transition real quick to ask us anything, by the way, uh, don't forget that ask us anything and the dubcast at large is sponsored by the dry goods store at drygoods.11warriors.com. We got shirts, hats, stickers. It's getting cold. It's snowing as I speak, which is wild in Columbus, Ohio in early uh, November. So I appreciate that. That's fun for me. Um, and also you can always ask us anything by sending questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start with Nelson. Nelson has two questions. First is when did yards from scrimmage become a stat? I have no idea. I, I can't help you, Nelson. I'm sorry. Andy, do you have any insight into that? I mean, I love arcane trivia. I mean, I threw out the the Warthog Gatling gun answer earlier in the program. So, you know, I love looking this stuff up. God, sure. I have no idea. What I do find fun is how terminology in, in how we talk about football, how it changes over time. So the one I was thinking about over the weekend was the, the phrase, the line to gain. 
Mm, yeah. That, that was one that like popped up just within the last couple seasons where you would hear the play-by-play guy or the, the color analyst say, no, well, the line to gain is the such and such and such. And I was like, what, what's the, what? Oh, you mean <laughs> the, where he's got to go to get the first down. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's a useful term, but the first time it popped up, I was like, I don't remember ever in the first 30 some years of my life hearing anyone talk about the line to gain. It's just, I, I gotta just believe the, it's like when the last, within the last like 20 years or so, they've, they've started to really up the, the stats and like, you know, the, an, the analysis based on, you know, what you can figure out and whatnot. And part um, of it too, like if you think about, so back to the, 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 questioner's question you know some of this i think is also dependent on how we use some of the most talented players in the game so the fact that you have uh justin fields who is accumulating yards in the air and with his feet sure um and and you have players who maybe are uh you know you you look at some of the great running backs ohio state's had who have also been fantastic punt and kick returners so you you know you've somehow got to accumulate and account for all of those yards to really get the total picture of what they really mean to a team. I, and I, I think about this a lot of times when I'm watching my fantasy teams on Sunday and right. you'll have some of these, you know, running backs who are also catching a lot of passes out of the backfield and you'll click the little button in the app and shows their points. And there's some stat that's missing because it's not a traditional running back stat or it's not right. a receiver stat or whatnot. And you're like, where did those point? Oh, okay. He's caught. X number of points. So, you know, they're these most talented players just, I mean, they mean even more to their team than, than ever before because of how we use them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next question he asks is Matt Canada did a great job of keeping Maryland together last year. I thought that was enough to hire him. Was it a mistake for Maryland to hire Loxley to replace him? Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> right. yeah, that's the, proof, the proof is in the pudding. So yeah, yeah it was bad. <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, the next one here, this is from Jimmy. Jimmy, uh, AKA James wants to know, is there anything sadder than poor Gus Johnson having to call a blowout? Uh, he seems defeated every time an OSU touchdown was scored. Oh, um, see, I, I mean, I, I have to stand up for the, the GOAT because I, I will stand for Gus and Joel Klatt. I, I mean, Herb Street is uh, is still is also one of my favorite color analysts, and he's been a part of of a couple different. I still think Musburger and Herbie were, were probably the best version of Herbie plus a play by play guy. Although that's mm-hmm. no no shade to the current iteration, but I, there's just something about Gus's energy, and I know it's different strokes for different folks, and not everybody loves his over the top enthusiasm and so on. Sure. But y- you tell me an analyst who's better um, than Joe Clatt right now. Uh, I can't find him. And, and, you know, granted it's, he's called a lot of Ohio state games in the last year and two. Uh, so we're seeing more and more of him, but I just think that guy really breaks down what's happening on the field in a way that every viewer can understand and enjoy and appreciate. And I, I guess he's, he's great. I'm, I'm all, I'm all in. Is he, Keith yeah, Jackson? Think- eh, he's a different guy, but you know, he's, I think they're a fantastic team. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Gus Johnson as well. I it's I mean, I think he definitely shines in more, you know, intense situations and where you've got like, you know, haymakers being thrown back and forth as opposed to just, you know, one team sitting on the head of the other team and just, you know, until they just pass out. But But don't um, you think that's true of everybody? I mean, like if you were yeah. taking I mean, put together your your all star team of commentators, is, is Keith Jackson make that Maryland game no. any more exciting than, no, than Gus and Joe? No, it's, I mean, it is what it is. As the old saying goes, you know, you can't polish a turd, right? You can't right. turn a pig's ear into a silk, silk 
purse or whatever the old <laughs> adage is. I'm, I'm bringing out cliches that I can't quite go. all remember. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's a 70 point beating. Yeah. And you, we're going yeah, to see do anything about in that. a few short days in Piscataway. <laughs> right. And that's exactly right. And and honestly, like we've just kind of like skimmed over the fact that they're playing Rutgers. And frankly, that's who cares? Like, I don't care. It's, it's not, it's not relevant. I mean, unless um, New Jersey falls into the sea. Yeah. Uh, three 30 Saturday afternoon, you know, you already can write the script on this game. Probably. Exactly right? Right. And, and as I said earlier in the program, Ohio state will cover whatever lines ahead of them. Right. I'm a big, I'm a big Nestler guy. I think Nestler is amazing, yes. but um, I, and honestly, I think he's probably my favorite, but you know, he's also paired with Gary Danielson. who's just like the absolute worst. So I, you know, I, I do, I am really enjoying the, uh, the Gus Johnson clat uh, duo. I think they're and, doing an excellent job, man. You hit on something there that I think is really important. So like it's sometimes it's that chemistry oh, yeah, you and, and the pairing, right? Cause I agree with you about Nestler. He's, he's really good at his craft. Yeah. Um, and and I used to enjoy Gary. I feel like Gary, where I didn't think Musburger, you know, they make fun of his kind of lecherous comments and, uh, you know, some of the things that he said, but his yeah. overall command of the game didn't really drop off in, in his later years. Sure. Um, where I, I, Gary, I'm like, your shtick is, you know, it's gotten old. It's gotten stale. Right. Um, and I just, I can't deal with it anymore. You'd ask me that question five and 10 years ago. Oh, Gary's pretty good. I actually kind of enjoyed him. Um, calling a game is his, his uh, you know, voice and delivery and demeanor. You know, th- those are all good. It's just the shtick. I can't, I yeah. can't deal with it anymore. And so that detracts from, cause Nestler is, you're right. He's good. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, you know, we talk about the Rutgers game and, and this is probably the only time we'll spend more than five seconds on it uh, in this podcast, but you know, they're probably going to win by a thousand points. And again, it's, it's going to be kind of a, the biggest, the biggest drama in the game is like, will I stay awake through the end of the third quarter? Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, and, and as an announcer, that's gotta be hell. Like you've gotta, you've gotta spend the entire week of prep just trying to dredge up as many possible anecdotes and stories as you possibly can. Cause you want people to stay on that channel. Right. So like, what do you do? You got to just, you got to try to keep it interesting. So I think, I think Gus and, and, and Clad have done a really good job and um, I'm glad that they're calling Ohio state games this year. Uh, we're going to, we have several other questions here, but we are running a little long. So I'm going to combine just uh, two of them here to kind of wrap this up. And I guess this is another kind of Rutgers thing. So thanks to Alvin and Nate for, um, for asking this essentially uh, how, how much, uh, effort, I guess we can say. How much seriousness should Ohio State really take this game? In other words, should we just not play the starters at all? Should Ohio State just say, "All right, look, we're we're looking to stay uninjured." So, how many series should a player like Justin Fields or J.K. Dobbins or you know any of the other players? How long are they really hoping to stay in this game? Look, I I think you have to respect every opponent that's in no, front don't. of you no, to, you to some degree. No, 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 no. no. I mean, there's, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't travel all the way to the birthplace of college football and, and all that and, and throw the double birds to, to those fans in the stands. I, I like the way the Maryland game <laughs> that, is prosecuted. That, those half of dozens of fans. in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Ohio state, 
travel so well. You yeah, that's true. No, there will be more Buckeye fans in, in in that stand probably than Rutgers fans, and and that's again because you keep using plural with Rutgers fans. I'm not really sure why you're doing this. <laughs> uh, uh, did you know that you don't have to pump your own gas in New Jersey? Little that's little, right. That's uh, true. New Jersey trivia. I think that's magical. So I, I think you do exactly what you did in the Maryland game, right? And that's go out. Play your starters in the first half, take a 40 plus point lead into the locker room at halftime and say, all right, the rest of y'all, this is your chance to show mom and dad back home how amazing you are. I will say this. The one thing that I really liked um, about that Maryland game is I have now um, significantly more confidence that if for some reason Justin Fields uh, is not available in some game that Chris Chuganov is not going to just die out there on the field. <laughs> Given the talent that's around him, he's out there slinging the rock and looking pretty good. Yeah, uh, in that second half versus Maryland, there were some pretty good throws. Uh, I mean, that, to that, be fair, know. it's it's the second half versus Maryland. You're not you're not being super pressed at that point in the game. Um, yeah. but I think I'm not saying he's ready to win a whiteout sure. uh, in Happy Valley. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not there yet. But but yeah. I you know I think if you ask me that question before that game, I'm like, oh, Fields goes down. You know, everything is doom, and you just cancel the rest of the season. I'm like you know, in a pinch, in a pinch, in the latter part of a game, that cat could go out there and and uh, and orchestrate the offense for a little bit. Yeah, I think he's savvy enough and experienced enough to where he won't be in over his head if if that is the situation. And I do appreciate that. I, I think he's, you know, again, he's not the athlete, he's not the quarterback that Justin Fields is, but very few people are. I think I but I do think he would be adequate and could do what he needs to do to keep the team in the game. Um, you know, I <laughs> the thing is is that my personal philosophy is is like especially in the way college football is done, you're trying to win a championship. If you've got the team that Ohio state does, if you get up three touchdowns against Rutgers, that's it. Like, I don't want to see Justin Fields even sniff the playing field, right? Like after that. And, and frankly, like, I really hope that that takes less than three drives to accomplish. Like, I hope there's like some kind of kickoff return for a touchdown. And then maybe, you know, like an interception, like a, a pick six or something like that. And then maybe Justin Fields gets to lead one drive for a TD. But after that, I don't want to see his face. I want to see him like he can be on the bus for all I care. I wrap not him in bubble wrap and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, to me, this is such a non-game. And and I know, like, you know, that's that's the kiss of death occasionally, like when we talk about Purdue or whatever. But this Purdue, Iowa. is so <laughs> bad. They are just so freaking bad. If they pulled off, like, some miracle upset, like it's, again, not going to happen. But if they did... I wouldn't even be angry about it because that literally would be like proof of the divine coming down and intervening in this specific game. And I would have to give God props because that's really not what I would have expected, frankly. So good for him for keeping everybody on our toes. Um, Cause that's, that would just be completely insane. Um, so that's ask us anything. We do have questions uh, left over. We will get to those. I promise. I have an uh, ask us anything question for you, Johnny Ginter. I'll go for it before. We okay. Get out of here. All right. So you, you said, um, you know, the dry goods and the Dubcast are, or rather the ask us anything in the Dubcast are brought to you by the dry goods store. What is your favorite item of, of apparel or housewares from the dry goods store? Absolute favorite go super easy it's the winter hat i freaking love the winter hat it is first of all i think as far as those hats go uh it's actually pretty affordable and secondly it's incredibly comfortable um i yeah i i love i have been searching honestly like this is a really stupid thing and i'm not even saying this to like pump up the store uh i want like the perfect winter hat and i swear to you that is like 
one of the best winter hats I've ever purchased. I, I really, really enjoy it. So that's that's my main item. What's yours? Uh, it is, and this is going to seem um, trivial by comparison. I am a sucker for the dry goods stickers, and so I Ooh, have yeah. a "That's Ohio's Moon" sticker um, on the lid of my laptop. And what I love about it is it sparks conversation. So I travel quite a lot, and yeah. when I'm out on the road, and I'll be working in some airport or whatnot, and someone will see my sticker, and it will occasion comment. So it gives me a chance to talk about. Uh, the fact that Ohio um, owns the moon and that's the way it is. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that Ohio owns the moon, but guess what? They totally I'm, own. The I'm moon. also a sucker for, for what I think of as the, the, the great plays t-shirt series. I have literally all of them and nice. wear them frequently. And there again, uh, also uh, occasions a great deal of, of discussion and commentary. Um, you will occasionally run into other people that are wearing an 85 yards through the heart of the South tee, and you can kind of, you know, throw each other a little fist bump and good times. Yeah. That's a good time. Uh, I will say, by the way, and this is a little, a little teaser, I guess we're going to get some new stuff in the dry goods store coming here pretty soon. Um, it's, it's gonna, people are going to like it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. People are going to like it. So keep Insert an eye out the, for that. Uh, shut up and take my money. GIF. It's yeah, it's, it's getting there. It's, it'll be, it'll be a good one. I'm actually, I've been wanting us to do something like this for a while now and we're, we're inching towards it. So I'm really excited. Uh, but I'll leave you with that teaser. Andy, excellent work out of you once again. And we'll, we'll talk to everyone next week.